Jemima. Um, the reading tonight is Hebrews 8. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry of Jesus has received as a superior to theirs as the covenant of which his mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete, and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Uh, my name's Andrew. Um, it's good to be with you at church tonight. Uh, we're going to look at that passage from Hebrews chapter 8. Uh, so it'd be great if you could keep that open. Heavenly Father, thanks so much that we can read your word together. Uh, Lord, we pray now that as I speak that you might give us concentration and understanding as to what you have to say to us. Uh, help us to see Jesus clearly so we might better appreciate what we have in him. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, One of the realities of life is if you fail to realise how great something is, uh, you risk losing it. If you fail to realise how great something is, you risk losing it. This is almost what happened with Leonardo da Vinci's The Last Supper, probably one of the world's most famous paintings. I think you've seen it before. Most people have seen it or they've seen a tacky reproduction of it. My personal favourite of the tacky reproductions was the the Zoom edition in honour of the COVID lockdowns, which looked a little bit like this. So... Originally, uh, da Vinci painted this on the wall of a dining room in a monastery in Italy. And unfortunately, after he painted it, the monks didn't realise how precious a treasure they had in their dining room. Uh, Firstly, the wall on which it was painted on was built so poorly that almost as soon as the paint dried, it started to crumble away. Sometime later, uh, the monks decided they could do with some better access uh, into their dining room and so they you know they did a bit of a reno and they cut a hole in the wall and they just happened to cut the hole uh, in the bottom of the painting and, and cut out Jesus feet uh, as time passed on the, the the monks kind of you know the room got a bit dilapidated so the monks turned the room not into a dining room but into a stable and then it was a storeroom and then it was a prison and then it was a barracks 
And you can imagine there's like donkeys or there's like sacks of flour or prisoners uh, hanging out in a room with the greatest or one of the greatest artworks of, of all history fading on the wall behind them. Finally, to add insult to injury, uh, eventually someone decided to restore it, but they did such a sloppy job uh, that one of the artists put six fingers on one of the disciples' hands. They weren't concentrating as they were painting. This priceless masterpiece could have been lost. They failed to realise how significant, how great this thing they had was, and so it was neglected, uh, it was passed over, it was, it was not treated with the respect that it deserved. And, and we risked losing it completely. Losing it completely. The question we have from Hebrews chapter 8 for us tonight is, do you realise what you have in the Lord Jesus? Do you realise how significant, how valuable, how great, how precious he is? Because if you don't realise that, then you risk losing him. You risk letting go of him of letting him fade off into the background. Uh, Now, if you're familiar with the book of Hebrews, uh, you may know that the original readers, uh, they were at risk of losing sight, of losing hold of Jesus. Uh, They came from a Jewish background. They had left their Judaism to come follow Jesus. And and as, as Jews in the first century, one of their kind of annual highlights would have been their family holiday that they all took to Jerusalem to visit the temple every year. It would be like a, a Kiwi going on pilgrimage to worship, I mean, watch the All Blacks play at Eden Park. Uh, a trip to the temple would have been a special moment that they would look forward to every year, that they would remember every year. And the average Jew, they'd head off to the temple, and they're probably a bit like the disciple in Mark 13, who, as he goes to the temple, uh, says to Jesus, he says, look at teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. The average Jew, as they go to the temple in Jerusalem, they would have been like gobsmacked tourists, seeing this incredible building. It would have been the biggest building they'd ever seen. Uh, The priests would have been there in the most magnificent robes they'd ever seen. And the sounds and the smells of the countless animals being sacrificed for their sins. It would have been quite the the sensory experience to go to the temple and to worship God. It would have been all so tangible and so real and so impressive for these Jews in the first century. But now all of a sudden they've come to Jesus and they've put their trust in Jesus and and the salvation that he brings through his death on the cross and they've left that whole temple and priest system behind and now they've got this new way of relating to God through Jesus But in some ways, in in, in contrast to the temple, it would seem so bare and intangible in comparison. They now worship a Jesus that they cannot see, and they follow his word, which they cannot touch or feel. It would have been like going to watch the, it would have been like going from watching the All Blacks play at Eden Park with 60,000 crazy fans to now they're sitting on the couch at home getting the text updates on their phone. The experience would have been so different for them. And so the temptation to turn their back on Jesus and turn back to what seemed so outwardly impressive and real and glorious, the temptation would have been really strong for them. And into this comes Hebrews chapter 8. And the author says, don't turn back. Get your head around Jesus. Get your head around what you have in Jesus. His greater ministry, his greater covenant. Whatever you do, don't turn back because you risk losing so much. Have a look at chapter 8 of Hebrews there, and we'll start at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Now the main point of what we're saying is this. We do have such a high priest, 
such a high priest. That is, uh, thinking back to chapter 7, we have a high priest that's perfect and eternal and a high priest who truly meets our needs. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary. Now, the writer here couldn't be any more clear. We have a perfect, eternal high priest in Jesus. We have a high priest in Jesus who truly meets our needs. needs. And, and, and now he is seated at the right hand of God in heaven. And, the, and, and Hebrews has been on about this since chapter 1. Hebrews has told us over and over again that Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. He brings a greater word than the angels. He brings a greater salvation than the law. He brings a greater sacrifice than that of the Old Testament priests. And now Jesus ascends into heaven for us. And he is interceding for us. He is mediating between us and God. Uh, and he does it as someone who knows what life is like for you. Because he's a man. He's lived in this world. And as Jesus does this service, as he, as he mediates between us and God, uh, his work is greater his ministry is greater, his service is greater than this system of Old Testament priests and sacrifices and the temple. Verse 1 again, we have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Now the point here is this. For these Jews, as they go to Jerusalem, as impressed as they were by the temple, the constant sacrifices by these impressive priests, he's saying that is just a shadow of the true reality. It's just a shadow. Verse 2 there, that is the real holy place. Not a temple in Jerusalem, but a temple in heaven where the Lord Jesus is now seated as our great and heavenly high priest where he is there serving us in the holy place, that true temple that God has established, not built by a man, but God himself. Have a look at verse 5. Verse 5, they serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. That is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle, see to you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. You see, the priests with their animal sacrifices going about their work in this impressive temple in Jerusalem, that was just a copy. That was just an architect's miniature model of the true heavenly reality. That was just a shadow. You know, when it comes to watching the All Blacks, it's actually the other way around. The impressive temple in Jerusalem, well, that's sitting on the couch getting text updates on your phone. Watching it live at Eden Park with 60,000 crazy fans. That's the true heavenly reality, where Jesus is seated. That is what we have if we trust in Jesus now. You see, the Jerusalem temple is just a copy. The real thing, the greater temple with the greater priest, that is in heaven. And that is where we are if we trust in Jesus. And so in conclusion, verse 6. Verse 6. In fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. So what Jesus is doing right now, even though we cannot see him, he is dealing in that heavenly reality. And that is superior, that is greater than any any earthly shadow we might be tempted to go back to. And so Hebrews is saying, don't trade in the real Buckingham Palace for the Lego model. Don't trade in a model aeroplane for first-class tickets in the A380. Whatever you do, don't lose the Son of God and your eternal place in his eternal throne room 
in exchange for something that's just a shadow, that is just passing away. Now, to be honest, the, the, the temptation for us is probably not to go back to uh, the Old Testament Levitical priesthood, not to go back to the Old Testament, uh, the Jewish temple. Uh, but in some sense, our situation is similar to theirs. In the sense that we live in this world around us that all looks so real, it feels so tangible and permanent. And many times it seems so impressive to us. We can see this world, we can touch it, we can feel it, we can taste it. And, and like the original readers of Hebrews... We're being asked to follow a Jesus that we can't see and trust his word that we can't taste or touch or smell. And so sometimes putting your trust in Jesus and seeking to follow him, it can feel bare and it can feel unreal. And the temptation is to go wandering off in search of something more tangible to hang our faith on. Maybe go wandering off for some sort of religious experience Maybe go wandering off to try and find some spiritual ritual. Something more tangible to to add to our faith in Jesus. But Hebrews is saying the reverse is actually true. The reverse is true. If you look for something tangible, then you're going to lose what is real. Uh, If you read The Last Battle, uh, which is uh, the last book in the Narnia series by C.S. Lewis... It describes this world and this present reality as the shadow lands. It's a great description. It fits really with what's going on here in Hebrews. This world is a passing shadow land. It's a shadow land. The eternal, the ultimate reality is where Jesus is right now, where his voice is coming from, at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. That is reality. This is a shadow. That is lasting This is temporary. That is our home. This is the transit terminal on the way home. And he is speaking to us now by his word so we might know and trust him to take us there to that heavenly reality. And he's the only one who can take us there. No earthly priest, no earthly temple, no earthly sacrificial system will get us there. And it isn't just the Jewish sacrificial system that kind of falls short. No Hindu holy man, no Levitical high priest, no Islamic prophet, no, not even any Christian who claims to be a priest, an intermediary between us and God. None of them can do it. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can because his ministry is greater and it takes us into that heavenly reality where he is now interceding for us with the Father. And only Jesus can do that because he has come and established a greater covenant, says Hebrews. He brings a greater covenant. Uh, If we're someone who trusts and follows Jesus, this is the reality we inhabit right now. Have a look at verse 6 with me. Verse 6 again. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to to theirs as the covenant of which he is a mediator is superior to the old one. Since the new covenant, that is the covenant brought by Jesus, it is established on better promises. Now, we don't use the word covenant very often, but essentially a covenant is just uh, an agreement that establishes a relationship. It sets out kind of the the rules or the obligations of the relationship. Uh, And that was the case of the old covenant with Moses. Now, the old covenant given to to Moses was a system of relating to God that formed the basis of uh, this, this, this relationship that he had with his people and this agreement. 
But the author tells us in verse 7 that that covenant that God made with Moses, it needed to be replaced. Verse 7 says, For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, there would be no place, no place would have been sought for another. The old covenant, it needed to be replaced. Why? Well, it couldn't deal with our biggest problem. It couldn't deal with sin. And it says it there in verse 8, But God found fault with the people. And the fault was that the people were sinful. The, old, the, the problem with the old covenant was that it was a two-way agreement. It depended on God's faithfulness and, and human obedience. And that was the problem. Uh, one side could be held up by God and his faithfulness, but the other side well, it could never be held up by fallen, sinful human beings like you and me. That, that covenant was destined to fail. Uh, and it was destined to fail right from the very beginning. In Exodus chapter 24, Moses tells the people about the covenant uh, and the people kind of re- reply emphatically to Moses. They said, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. But they didn't. And they couldn't. That covenant lasted about 40 days. So Moses gave and told the people the covenant and then he went up the mountain to get God to write the covenant down on the stone tablets uh, inscribed by the finger of God and, and the proverbial ink was still wet on that covenant and the people had already failed. Moses came down the mountain with the covenant written out and they were worshipping the golden calf. It was broken just as it began. And we see it here in Hebrews chapter 8, partway through verse 9. Verse 9, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, they did not remain faithful to my covenant. They did not remain faithful to my covenant. They needed something radically new. And they needed something radically new that wasn't dependent on their performance. And this is what we see uh, as the covenant is explained in verses 8 to 12. Uh, These verses in chapter 8, verses 8 to 12, they're a direct quote from Jeremiah the prophet, a prophet who spoke to God's people 600 years before Jesus. Uh, and, and despite the, the centuries of unfaithfulness of God's people, God makes this incredible promise to them through the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, we can read it there in verse 8. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. You see, the great news for us and for the, the people who read Hebrews for the first time was that with the coming of Jesus, the days promised for this new covenant have arrived. Jesus, he's the mediator of this new covenant. And so by his incarnation, he takes on human flesh. By his atonement, he dies in place for our sin. By his resurrection, he finally and completely defeats death. And by his ascension, he's living and reigning at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And by all of that, he has now pressed play on this new covenant reality, this new relationship that we can have with God. And it's the reality in which we live right now if we trust and follow the Lord Jesus. And it's on those terms, it's on those new covenant terms that we can relate to God, that we can know him and that we can be known by him. And so this covenant that Jesus brings is so much greater. It is so much greater Uh, Hebrews chapter 8 gives us four reasons why it is so much greater. Four reasons why it's much more, why why it's like being at Eden Park rather than getting the text updates on your phone. And here are the four reasons. First, Jesus' greater covenant is guaranteed by God. It's guaranteed by God. 
It doesn't depend on human performance, but it depends on God's faithfulness. Did you notice who, 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 who this covenant depends on as we read it? Verse 8, it says, I will make a new covenant, says God. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish, says God. Verse 12, I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. You see, for, for sinful, broken people like you and me, if we're to have a relationship with a holy God, it can't depend on our own performance. Like we saw with Israel, we just can't keep, we just can't keep our side of the bargain. We keep falling short. And so what we need is for God to step in and for God to fulfill both sides of the agreement. And that's exactly what he has done for in Jesus, done for us in Jesus. God the Son stepped into the world and he stepped into our shoes. He took on our flesh. He lived the life we ought to have lived. He died the death that we ought to have died. And by doing that, he became the only one who could fulfill our side of the covenant. And so he's the only one who can bring us to heaven, to be in heaven with our Father. He's the only one who can be our great high priest. Which is why it'd be crazy to go back to the shadows, go back to the shadow land, the old covenant. To go back to the shadows of man-made religion because anything that relies on your performance or my performance, it's destined to fail. It cannot guarantee our salvation, only the perfect and complete work of Jesus. Our guarantor of this new covenant, only he can deliver us to heaven, guaranteed by God, it cannot be broken. The second reason Jesus' covenant is so much greater is uh, it removes our sin completely and forever. It removes our sin completely and forever. Have a look at verse 12. Uh, God says, For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. Uh, a big problem with the Old Covenant was that it could never actually completely deal with sin. It could never completely remove it. And the presence of sin uh, means that there's this gulf, this this chasm between us and God. Uh, and sin needs to be dealt with uh, if we're ever to have a relationship with God. And under the Old Covenant, there was this never-ending sacrifice of animals. Uh, and, and the fact that it was never-ending sacrifice of animals, it proved that it was never actually really dealing with sin once and for all. What was required was a better sacrifice. And in this new covenant, by Jesus, by his once and for all sacrifice, our sins have been removed. They've been removed completely and forever. Now, I want you to imagine something with me. I want, to imagine, I want you to imagine that this book here I've got is yours. It's volume one of 100 million of your confessions of sin. Uh, don't ask me how I got it. I've got connections. Uh, but somehow I did get it. And it's an awful thought, isn't it? If this book were mine, I'd be uh, running out of this room faster than Paul. I'd be so ashamed of the secret sins of my heart that they might be revealed. And imagine that this book and the millions of other volumes are presented to God on that final judgment day. And as he opens it up, you expect him to thunder from his throne. Righteous condemnation because of your sin. But as he opens it up, what's in there? What's in there? Nothing but blank pages. 
blank page after blank page after blank page. Because your sins have been forgotten. They have been forgiven. They have been dealt with forever. Which means that thing that you did that you've never told anyone about. Those words that you said behind that person's back. Those thoughts or those words or that thing you did with the person that you're not married to. Whatever it is, every single one of them has been dealt with. It has been removed completely and forever by this new covenant. It's nothing but blank pages. Every single one of them, if you have come to trust in Jesus. And it's this complete removal of our sin that's the basis for these last two blessings of this new covenant. The removal of sin means that it's possible for our hearts to have been transformed by Jesus. Have a look at verse 10 with me. Verse 10, this is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts. You see, with sin removed this, uh, and this new covenant, something radical has happened. God has put the, his law in the minds of his people. He has written his law on the hearts of his people. For the very first time, his people want to and are able to obey him. The old covenant could never do that. You might be sitting there and you might be feeling overwhelmed by your sin. You might be sitting there feeling inadequate, that you always try but you just can't do the right thing. You might be there, uh, like me, wishing you could do better. The very fact that you feel that, well, that is evidence of life. The fact that you struggle with sin, that you don't like it, that you wish you could obey God more, that is evidence that you have God's spirit in you, that God has put his law in your mind and he's written it on your heart. Because Jesus' greater covenant, it transforms hearts and it transforms lives. And his covenant also enables us to know God personally. Have a look at verse 11 with me. Verse 11, no longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. See, the problem before was that sin meant that there was this chasm between us and God. We couldn't have closeness with him. God was always distant because our sin got in the way. But now in this new covenant, sin has been dealt with, which means that we're able to know God We can know him as father. Jesus calls us his brothers and sisters. We've been drawn into the family of God. And so with full confidence, we can draw near to the throne of grace, as it said earlier in Hebrews. With no fear of judgment, knowing that we've been forgiven. Knowing that we're being welcomed by our father. Knowing we can come there because of the sacrifice of our brother Jesus, our great high priest. And it's not just for some special few. No, this promise is open to everyone. They will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. What an incredible promise that is. Guaranteed by God. Sins gone forever. Hearts transformed so we can know God personally. And Hebrews tells us over and over again to keep holding on to Jesus. Do not let go of him. Because if we, do, if we do, if we turn our backs on him, this is all gone. It will all go away. Now, after centuries of neglect, Da Vinci's Last Supper, it's now rightly treasured, isn't it? 
they spend 21 years painfully and uh, painstakingly uh, restoring it and preserving it. Uh, because the wall it was on was so fragile, they, they kind of converted the 15th century monastery into this kind of hermetically sealed dome, this uh, sealed climate-controlled room to protect uh, the painting. Uh, and the painting, uh, it can only be viewed by 20 people at a time, and you have to book months and years in advance to get your slot of 15 minutes in the room with the masterpiece. You see, when we realise how great and how significant something is, then we'll devote great time and effort and energy and care and attention to preserving it, to appreciating it, to treasuring it. And Hebrews chapter 8 is telling us to treasure Jesus. He is a greater high priest. He brings a greater covenant. He is the only one who can bring you into a relationship with God and will take you to be with God. Now, if you've been neglecting him for years, maybe now's the time for you to realise again what you have in Jesus. Maybe to begin that restoration process, recovering who he is and all that he has done for you. But maybe we need to remember afresh that Jesus, he welcomes us into his heavenly throne room, that he has dealt with our sin by tra- and he is transforming our heart. And so that now God can say of us, as he says in verse 10, I will be their God and they will be my people. What a great promise God has given us. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are sorry for ignoring you, for neglecting what you have done for us in Jesus, for being tempted to go off after things that might seem more real and more tangible. But Lord, your word tells us that they are mere shadows, mere shadows of the reality which is you on your throne in heaven and Jesus taking us to be with you. Lord, we thank you for this incredible promise, this promise guaranteed by you, this promise of sins gone forever, this promise that you will transform our hearts and that we can know you personally. Lord, help us to treasure the Lord Jesus. We pray all of these things in his name. Amen.